every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the County Clerk in Boone County, Missouri. And with me is my co-host. Eric Fade, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And today we're going to be talking about all things Massachusetts with Grace Spanish, who is a town clerk in Western Massachusetts. And she has all kinds of fun stories and doesn't use voting equipment, which is super fun. So first we will talk about her specifically and ask how did you end up working in elections in the first place? So I, like so many people, got into elections completely by accident. I am disabled and sometimes I get very sick. And in 2018, I got very, very sick and was essentially bed bound for eight months. At the end of those eight months, I really needed a job. But part of the reason I had gotten that sick in the first place was I had already really needed a job and I had taken the first job that came along, pushed myself over the brink, physically speaking. So at the end of these eight months, it's the spring of 2019, I'm getting back on my feet, getting back into the swing of the things. And I make a promise to myself, I'm not gonna take just the first job that comes along this time. I'm gonna stick it out and find something that works so that I don't make myself sick again. So I don't have to start all over, all over again for the millionth time, I'm gonna really do it. Fast forward a few hours, the mail comes and in that mail is our quarterly town newsletter, which I sit down and start to read. And in that newsletter was a job ad for a 10 hour a week assistant town clerk position, which was gonna pay about $17 an hour. So I'm thinking, okay, it's only 10 hours a week. I'm just getting back on my feet. That sounds perfect. It's above minimum wage and it's an eight minute commute. Do I know what a town clerk is? No. Do I know what an assistant town clerk is? Absolutely not. But those things are good. I might as well give it a shot. So I call the number and my predecessor picked up and she said, oh great, can you come in this afternoon? And I'm like, okay, sure. I guess we're doing that. I am sitting in the parking lot of town hall, reading the Wikipedia entry of what a town clerk is trying to figure it out. No idea. I walk in still with no idea. And I was very honest about that in my interview. I was very upfront. I said, look, I have always been interested in local government. Of course, I've thought of running for office in the past. I really don't know anything about it. And I don't know how to get into it. And this job, knowing nothing about it, but this seems like a really good way to learn how local government works. And the two people who were interviewing me, my predecessor and the town administrator, they gave each other this look, which I don't think I understood until months later when I said that, because nobody comes into this space knowing how it works. And so just saying I'm willing to learn is already like, oh, good. You're in the right headspace. They hired me pretty much that afternoon, and I started pretty much the next day, and 
about a month later, I found out that I was the only applicant in six months of searching, which very lucky for me because this is the best job I've ever had. I love it so much. I enjoy every day. I can't believe I lucked into this. And it is also exactly what I promised myself I would find. It does work for me, this job. Um, I've gotten sick since I started in this office and I haven't had to quit and I haven't been fired. And I have a supportive environment and coworkers who will help me out if I need it. This is my office, it's my space. If I can't do sitting on chairs and I need to sit on the floor and work sitting on the floor that day, that's okay. I get to do that and nobody gets to tell me that's inappropriate. This is exactly what I've always needed and I found it. So that's amazing. When I started the job, I started off doing as the assistant, um, doing processing dog tag applications and voter registrations. That was what I did. And as the months wore on, we got, you know, we sort of added more responsibility. I was learning more and more parts of this job because part of what my town was looking for wasn't just an assistant town clerk. They were looking for a new town clerk because my predecessor was ready to retire. This is a story that happens again and again, especially in Western Massachusetts. The town clerk is ready to retire. They are ready to move on. They are done. And there is no one available to take that, their place. And so they get stuck there because they don't want to leave the town high and dry. So the plan was to train me for a year. And either I would win the election or I would train whoever did. And then COVID happened. And... I will always remember that second week of March, everything changed. I had just taken out my nomination papers. At that point, it still felt to me like, sure, I'll run for office, but it didn't feel real at all. And then I had that realization that this is it. This is really happening. We've got all these elections coming up and these elections are really, really important to my neighbors and my family and my friends. And there is a very real chance that because of the pandemic, they might not be able to vote unless someone does the work necessary to make it happen. And I happen to be the person in that position. I think that was the second when I, it really occurred to me and I really started to understand what being an election administrator can mean for me personally, but also the role that person plays in the community, which is something I've never thought of before. This is my hometown, so I've voted here my whole life. I don't think it ever occurred to me that there was more to elections than the volunteers that I was used to seeing every single election. I've tried so hard to remember what I, how I used to think things work. And I honestly think I just, if I ever thought about it, I probably just assumed ballots magically appeared in the middle of the night and then things just magically happened. I had no idea. It's definitely, it's been an adventure. This is now my second year of town clerkdom. I think I'm starting to build some of that confidence, but it's still like full on learning every single day. And it's just amazing. Our job has existed for over 300 years and every year they just add more random bits to it. So something that's been amusing me recently, I was looking in our Massachusetts general state laws for something completely unrelated. And I discovered an old statute that uh, requires if you're selling milk in a cabinet or a tub, you have to get a license from the town clerk. Not if you're selling it in any other context, just that one. 
I have never seen a milk license. I, no one told me I was supposed to be issuing milk licenses. I am just waiting for this to come across my desk at this point. There are a lot of things like that that are, um, you know, it's buried in statute somewhere. You have to file this with the town clerk and no one ever tells us. And then some town clerk has to deal with it and sends out a message, by the way, we've been supposed to be doing this all this time, who knew? And we just scrabble to keep up. That's stressful. Sometimes it's fun, usually it's frustrating. But in my office, I handle, I handle dog tags, I handle trash bags, I handle the town meeting calendar, I handle minutes, agendas, I do marriage licenses, birth certificates, death certificates, I do burials. I prepare the annual town report. I train people on open meeting law and conflict of interest law. It goes on and on. I'm the town archivist. I'm the records access officer. I'm the ethics commission liaison. I'm on the web committee. I'm on the emergency management team. There's always something new. There's always something different. And most of the time I get to spend my life in one of my favorite buildings in the world, playing with old books. And that's amazing. So you mentioned that there's a lot of situations, especially in Western Massachusetts, where the town clerk is looking for a successor and there just isn't one. How often do you all as town clerks get together? Is there a support system there? for yeah. when that's happening like it, and has there been some concerted efforts to try to bring new people in or is it still kind of in that state there is an association we have regular conferences but we are very isolated especially in small towns most of us are one person departments and except for you know these conferences that happen about two or three times a year we don't get a chance to interact with each other. That's been very difficult this last year. I think there's a real need for us to, we really need to connect with each other and support each other. And that's been hard to manage. And out here in Western Mass, I, I, I know so many stories. I know somebody who um, is a town clerk who was elected by a couple friends as a joke, put her name down on the ballot. It was an uncontested race. She got the call, you won. She said, I won what? The, her predecessor was 90 years old and done, done. She got about 45 minutes of training and then she was the town clerk on her own. You know, and I've seen people come back out of retirement because the position became vacant and there was no one available and they felt like they had to step up for the community. We need to have a better pipeline. Um, I think the first step to making that happen is letting, figuring out how to actually effectively explain what a town clerk is. Because most people are not going to just go, why not? I'll apply for a job that I have no idea what it is and sit in the parking lot and then go in and admit to not knowing what it is. So yeah, we need to explain what a town clerk is because this job is huge and it is important and it's exciting and challenging and fulfilling. And I may be biased, but I honestly can't imagine why anyone wouldn't want to be a town clerk. Well, after what you just explained, 
it's likely a lot of people wouldn't want to do it. I mean, you're doing everything. And I, I think that goes to a point we had a guest on once, a professor from University of Vermont, who had written a book about kind of the history of election administration. And he made a great point that in the United States, we had democracy before bureaucracy. And you are the living embodiment of that in, in small town Massachusetts. I have above me on my shelf a leather-bound tome that is the first volume of the proprietor's notes. The proprietors were the men who bought the property that became the town from two Nipmuc brothers, and then were also granted rights to the property by the governor who was subject of the British Empire at that point. And the person who wrote the notes, who took the minutes at that meeting, that very first meeting of the proprietors, that became the town clerk. That's my job right there from day one. I have the minutes in my custody of when Boston started demanding regular accurate records about population and demographics from towns. I've got the minutes and the notes of people complaining about big government overreach, making us do all this work, unfunded mandates, nothing's changed. But there's really no better example of that phenomena than town meeting. That's what I was going to ask about. I want to know so much about town meeting and I am going to, it's on my list to visit one when it happens. Yes. All right. Let's talk about town meeting. So town meeting is direct democracy in action. It is beautiful and terrible in equal measure. It is the legislative branch of town government in Massachusetts. Cities don't have town meetings. Cities have city councils. Towns usually have either an open town meeting or a representative town meeting. And a town meeting, because this is gonna get confusing, is both an event and a body. So when I say town meeting, I could be talking about going to town meeting, or I could be talking about town meeting doing something. So at our town meeting, anyone can speak, but only voters, registered voters in the town can vote. So when I was a kid, I had to go and sit on the, we call them the stranger bench. And that's where everyone who is a non-voter has to be because how we vote at town meetings is by raising our hands with a little brightly piece, colored piece of paper in our hands so that the moderator can see and he counts. Sometimes we do a voice vote. Not many active voice votes left in the United States, not when it comes to real government. If the moderator can't hear clearly, which was it, yay or nay, then we go to a hand count. I just real quick, I'm curious about how many people are we talking about at the Shootsbury town meeting? That really depends. So our quorum is nine because sometimes that's all you can get to show up and you need to check a bureaucratic box, get a vote, get town meeting to approve a money thing so that disaster doesn't strike in the next few days. But it can be a lot more. We've, I've seen town meetings with 400, 500 people show up in a town of about 1,500 voters. That's pretty significant. That's a good turnout. I would love it if everybody showed up for town meeting. That's probably not going to happen anytime soon. It is a significant commitment. Would anything actually get done if everybody showed up to the town meeting, though? Probably not. You know, maybe 
it would depend on the moderator, honestly. The moderator at town meeting is a very interesting job. The moderator really doesn't have any power outside a town meeting, but within town meeting, they are essentially a full-on tyrant. They have discretion to start or stop the meeting as they please. It's up to them to say what the outcome of the vote was. They basically get to decide the rules. That's a lot of power. So it really depends on how good a moderator do you have in terms of moving the conversation along. Do you get to appoint the moderator? No, the moderator in Shootsbury is elected. There are places that appoint the moderator. Most of the time, the moderator is elected. So it could be anybody. This is like the most meta version of direct democracy. I love it. It's amazing, right? So we used to do our town meetings inside in the school gymnasium. COVID hits, the school's off limits. We don't have an indoor space other than the elementary school that can accommodate a large crowd in town. So here we are, we've been doing town meeting for a couple centuries now, and all of a sudden, we're gonna do it outside. That was fun. So I I had no idea if this was gonna work when we first came up with this idea. It it sounded nuts to me. We rented a tent, we had a huge problem, you know, the first time around, we had a huge problem getting people to stay inside the town meeting area, not go wandering off into the woods. You know, it was a beautiful day. They were like, let's go take a walk. No, no, we need, we need, we're counting people. We need you to stay in the same place. My second town meeting that I had to do and my first town meeting as a town clerk, a fully minted elected town clerk on my own was about three days after our September primary election, which was my first election on my own as a town clerk. No one consulted me on that timing. We basically, you know, the day after election day, I was like, oh, wait, I've got a town meeting on Saturday that I have to get ready for. Oh, no. I raced. I rushed. It went almost entirely perfectly. And I I think that this is the audience that will really get this story. So town meeting is a huge event. You got to think about chairs. You got to think about tables. You got to think about the tent. You got to make sure you got enough ballots for everybody. You got to make sure you got enough warrants. The warrant is the agenda. It's everything we're voting on. You got to make sure we got enough paper copies of that so that everybody who shows up and you don't know if it's going to be a dozen people or a hundred people or more. Everybody who shows up can have their own paper copy of the agenda. That's pretty important. You need to have the speakers set up. We needed porta potties, all this stuff. I'm racing, I'm racing, I'm racing, getting it all together. Also dealing with closing up the September election. We've still got to get ready for November. That's right around the corner. It's pretty chaotic. I am running around for three days. We get to town meeting. Things are going smoothly. And then we get to the thing that the most controversial thing we were going to vote on in that moment. And somebody wanted to do a secret ballot vote, which is something that the voters can request. And how our ballots worked was there was a yes side of the ballot and a no side of the ballot, and you would circle which one you were voting on and then put your ballot in the box. Now, I'm just fresh off of my first COVID era election. And so, of course, the number one thing in my head is I can't just give people pens. I got to sanitize them. Right. So I get up when this request for a secret ballot 
is made, I get up and I explain what the process will be. And I look out of the crowd and I say, and I now realize this was the most naive thing I could have possibly said in this moment. I assume everyone brought their own pet. No one brought their own pet. And then I make it so much worse. I, you know, people are start shaking their heads, shouting no. And I frown very deeply because I'm thinking in my head, oh God, how am I going to sanitize these pens as I'm passing them out? Oh no, well, I don't have enough pens for all of you. Something I've got a box of like five pens. I've got more in the storage closet. Can I run up there and get that? Of course, that's not what comes out of my mouth. Oh my God, the crowd loses it. You've got people shouting about government incompetence, everyone more experienced in local governments hustling me off the stage before I can say anything more. It is absolute pandemonium. They end up going with a hand count instead of a secret ballot and everybody's pissed, like really, really angry. And I am so devastated. I can't believe I forgot pens. And as I'm driving home that day, obsessing about this, I realize, wait, we have a yes side of the ballot and a no side of the ballot. We don't need pens. We could have just folded the ballots in half, ripped them down the center. So I get back to work the next morning. People are like, Grace, are you okay? That was rough. I'm like, I've got it, you guys. I fixed it. I figured it out. No pens, mark-free ballots. Boom, we're making it happen. For our annual town meeting this year, this spring, that was what I did. I made eight sets of 500 town meeting ballots. They're all on brightly colored cardstock. Most of the time they'll be used as holding them up for a hand count, brightly colored so that they're easy to see, cardstock so that they don't blow away in the wind. And hopefully you don't just crinkle them up while you're sitting there fiddling around waiting. That'll still happen obviously, but hopefully less. There is a no side and a yes side. It is perforated down the middle and there are very clear instructions on the other side about how to rip it, how to fold it, and what to do with the half you don't vote with. So far they've working pretty well. No, but we haven't had any disasters, no one's. And best of all, I haven't said the wrong thing into a microphone at the worst possible moment and then had a screaming crowd standing before me. Oh man, you know, and that was so funny too because what else was I thinking about in that moment other than pens? It was all about the pens. Well, I talked to a, a Swiss guy once, and in rural Switzerland, they have these same kind of uh, community meetings where they vote by raise their hand and everything. But he said there's a lot of drinking usually at these meetings. So you might think about that. Have That's a beer the- while I go get the pens. And We have very stern laws. You're not allowed to show up to town meeting intoxicated anymore. When did that go into effect? I think it was on the books a lot longer than it was observed. <laughs> I think there's probably a lot of a lot of newer clerks that are just coming in. But in getting to know some of your colleagues and the job specifically, what are some of the things that you think every election administrator should know that isn't very obvious when you first come into the position? One, being helpful pays off. You know, just the other day I had a I got a vote by mail application from someone who is a registered voter in my town. They're a college student. They're currently living in a faraway city that has a, that I know has a very active uh, election on right now, municipal election. And so I, I got this vote by mail application. We don't have any upcoming elections. And so I figured, okay, this voter probably thinks that 
either we have an election because where they are now has an election or maybe they thought they could vote in that election by sending in a mail by mail application home. What do I do about this? I called the secretary of the state's office to confirm that I could contact the voter and let them know I'm not going to be sending you a ballot, but if you really want to vote in this election, you've got until this point to change your voter registration to your current residence, and here's how to do it. I called the secretary's office to find out if there were anything, anything I was required to do in this situation. And they said, you're not required to do any of this. Um, that sounds great if you want to do it. Anytime the higher ups, the secretary's office or your town council or whoever it is tells you, that sounds great. You're not required to do it. And it's going to help somebody do it because that will come back and help you. That is how you build trust. It is how you identify yourself as the contact person for these questions. And you're going to need that trust. And you're going to need people to know that you're the person to talk to. The second thing I would say is you need to be okay with making the call sometimes. And this might be more of a more of advice for anybody who's a one-person office, a one-person election office. There are a lot of us. We don't serve the majority of voters, but we are the majority of election officials. There are a lot of times when at the end of the day, I'm the only person who can make the call and I have to make it and I have to be okay with it. And that got very, very scary sometimes with the pandemic and COVID when I had to make decisions about, you know, what do, what do my poll workers do if someone, if a voter shows up without a mask? And most of my poll workers are older. A lot of them felt very uncomfortable in that situation. We had to make really good plans to make sure everybody's rights were realized and everybody was safe. That really meant trusting myself and my own judgment to stand in between that space of you have a right to work in this environment without putting your life at risk and you have a right to vote no matter what you wear and we're going to make this work that was very hard and there were a lot of times I talked to my my predecessor and she would say at the end of the day you're the one who has to make the call and you just need to make sure that you're going to be okay with it so that's really important too one thing I know I was really curious about, could you describe to the listenership how, I don't know, the presidential election works in your town? Like, oh. where do you get your poll workers? What, you know, what does it look like for you on election day? What are you doing? Our elections are as quaint as apple pie and also really, really, really hard. I had no idea how hard I thought it was easy because it's so small and cute. And I know everybody and everybody knows me. And I've been going to the same polling place since I was a toddler and it should be easy, right? No, no, it's not easy. It's very difficult. Never let anyone tell you that a hand count paper ballot election is easier than any other. It is just as complicated, just in its own way. So currently what we have for elections and this has been changing all the time since COVID's hit, Currently, what we have is we start with vote by mail. We have universal vote by mail. Anyone can apply for vote by mail. People have to submit an application to me. So I start getting huge amounts of applications, probably usually around three months before an election happens. Then we have the last two weeks around somewhere in there, that area, 
before election day, we have in-person early voting. That happens here at our town hall, downstairs in the senior lounge, which is what we call a big room that is mostly empty, that used to have a senior center in it, and then we used it for storage. And now we're getting all that storage out of there and trying to figure out to turn it, how to turn it into a new space. It's still called the senior lounge. That's what everyone knows about it, even though it hasn't been that for like 25 years. Anyway, that's where we go to vote. It's where we've always gone to vote. Our voting booths are, is this big uh, plywood contraption that's whitewashed that uh, was built by hand by people in town. Those are what we use. We roll them out. We get to election day and it's still the same deal. Mostly community elders, people who've been involved in local government for a long time are poll workers. I've been working on getting more high school and college students involved, but it really is, it's a community event. People come in, they wave hi to their neighbors, they hang out and chat. We have a bake sale to raise money for the library. People vote. The best part of voting in our town is the ballot box. All over rural New England, uh, you'll find these old traditional wooden crank turn ballot boxes. We've been using ours, this exact same box, since 1934. It is a beautiful wooden box about four feet tall, and it's got a little uh, number ticker on the front. And the number ticker counts the number of ballots. It doesn't count the votes, it counts the number of ballots. So you put in, the voter puts their ballot into this little slot on the top that flips up, and the poll worker turns a hand crank on the side, and it wheels the ballot through this stamping mechanism that has a, a unique stamp to our election and our town. And that stamp goes over the outside of the ballot and that proves this ballot was legitimately cast back when we're, you know, in the future when we're tallying it. You know, that stamp proves that the ballot was legitimately cast, that it was cast by a, a registered voter who identified themselves and that there were observers in that moment. And later on, when we're tallying those ballots, that stamp proves that we didn't just shove a bunch of random ballots into the pile. When the ballot goes into the container at the bottom of the box, the ticker on the front goes up. And when that happens, there is a bell that goes ding. And that's the best part. That's the best part. That's the part that everybody talks about. So. I don't use our ballot box for in-person early voting because she's old and delicate and dragging her in and out and in and out over and over again. It wouldn't be good for her. Every single time, someone always says, well, where's the ding? I miss the ding. It doesn't feel like I cast my ballot if I don't have the ding. I think that the, the old wooden ballot boxes are really important because they're very much a symbol of our communal identity. I mean, I, I used to think that if we can do a hand count paper ballot election, anyone can. And then I actually had to run one and count those ballots and get all the volunteers together and found out how much it works and, you know, decided, you no, know, if I had, I've got about 1500 voters. If I had 2000 voters, we would be talking about using different tools. That being said, the emotional connection and the spiritual connection that we have with this box that I have, that I know other people have, that also has value. My favorite moments have been when someone sees the box by 
total happenstance or they're helping me clean up after election day and we're moving it. And they start to tell me stories about the elections in their towns where they grew up and their memories about going with their parents to the polls and using the box. And sometimes they don't live in a place where, where we use these kinds of old wooden boxes anymore. And, you know, those people have told me how much they miss them and how, you know, they're totally fine using the machines, but they still, every time they miss that ding. And I think that it's just because I like to describe our box as the grandmother of the town. It's because we have these, these connections. It's part of our lore. It's part of our culture, part of our identity. That does not mean it is more secure than another system. Doesn't mean it's superior to another system, but it is important to us. Um, I wouldn't give it up unless I needed to. All right, everyone, that was High Turnout Wide Margins again. Big thanks to Grace Banish from Shootsbury, Massachusetts, for being our guest today. It was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you listen next time to High Turnout Wide Margins. <laughs>